1: This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. Ah! On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Ah! There he is, Brian Haydad, Michael Borky. I'm Richard Cross. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. (laughs) Live radio. (laughs) Wonderful, Coming to you from the Pearl (laughs) River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort, the home of the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club. Uh, I don't know that today is the spring day in Mississippi that you would like to be on the golf course, but there are great spring days that are quickly approaching, and we've already had some of them. You can book your tee time or plan your trip online at DancingRabbitGolf.com. Find out more online at Pearl River Resort. You can be a part of the conversation on the C Spire text line, 601 879 Four three nine five again six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. Give your business the edge with gigabit fiber internet from C Spire Business, backed by world-class IT professionals who live where you do, and that's right here in C Spire Country. Happy Masters Thursday, and my goodness,
3: that leaderboard! It's early. There's a lot of golf left, but Brother. buddy, this is a killer leaderboard. Um, Victor Hovland,
2: 7-under, and he set the tone right out of the gate with an eagle on number two. They, they said when he hit his tee shot, he was in part of that featured group this morning, they said, ooh, that's an aggressive line, and then they saw it land, and they're like, that's going to roll forever. And he hit a shot in to the, uh, the green on the par 5 second, made a putt, and was off to the races 7-under, and he rolled in a little little sneaky bender from about 6 or 8 feet on 18 to finish off a bogey-free round. Now, you tell me what's more impressive. Is it the bogey-free 65 from Victor Hovland, or is it the 65 from John Rahm that started with a double
3: bogey and a four-putt yes. on the first hole of the day? Uh, my vote is Rahm. Because, I mean, I don't know how much of it you were able to watch, but Ron looked shook on the first hole and the tee shot on the second hole. Yeah, that's the thing. After
2: after he made the double on one, you're thinking, all right, he can go back and eagle two. And he kind of hit it in a spot and got away with it, Borky, just a little bit down in that corner on the left side of the, the fairway at number two. He ends up making birdie on two, birdie on three, birdie on seven, eagle on eight. So on the front, he played the par fives, three under. He makes a birdie on 13, make that four under for the par fives. He makes a birdie on 15, make it five under for the par fives. Birdie 16 and birdie's 18 coming in. And so after a double bogey start for Rombo, he goes into the clubhouse after day number one, tied for the lead with a first round 65 seven under par the question remaining is will that be the overnight lead cuz you got a bunch of guys on the course right now that are putting up a lot of red numbers and this is the day to score this year at augusta
3: yeah good pick by the way hey dad uh, your guys off to a, a start uh, so is my guy, Sam Burns, 500-8, through eight, but you're exactly right, and that was the, the common theme. I mean, Victor Hovland with uh, Scott Van Pelt after the round was like, got to score today uh, because the weather is going to impact the rest of the tournament, so you, yep. you have got to score today. Conditions were and are still, I mean, they're still scoring, but uh, absolutely flawless, and it's going to change a lot over the next couple of days, so... Um, anybody that doesn't capitalize is going to set themselves back, but it looked like everybody besides Tiger that you wanted to – and Rory's also struggling for what it's worth, but the yeah. the rest of the stars are taking advantage the way you hoped that they would. Hey, Dad, have you
2: have you locked in at all? Did, did you know that your boy John Rahm was uh, tied for the lead?
4: I, I knew that Rahm was, was having a great day. I've watched a few holes here and there uh, on, on the Masters' website um and i saw that uh, kevin nah said nah
2: he said he's, nah he's out more he played 9 yeah, he's and out. then uh,
3: shut it down they they said an illness he looked sick uh, i mean physic like you could see it uh, when he was walking down the second fair i think it was the second hole i mean you it, it looked like he was about to vomit i'm serious I'm, like i'm not being sarcastic he looked ill like like he was just struggling to to be upright mm-hmm. so uh, you know he was playing poorly, and people were getting off their jokes because he's kind of a jerk, uh, apparently, and he's a live guy. So the internet was having fun with his withdrawal. But and you he's could, slow, you could he played slow, but you could see on his face that he something wasn't right, and he it wasn't just because he wasn't playing well. All right, so Victor Hovland and
2: John Rahm both in the clubhouse at 65. Cam Young goes out and shoots a first round five under 67. Brooks Kepka still on the course. He won last week on the live tour. He is five under through fifteen. So maybe Brooks has regained that confidence that was uh, so visibly shaken and was there for the whole world to see on the the PGA Tours uh, oh I say the PGA Tour golf's Netflix documentary full swing. Um Sam
3: Burns five under through eight. That We just uh, – I wish that we could have played it in time. It, it just finished. This is the kind of stuff that needs to happen in broadcasting more. So you're seeing it more and more with baseball. Well, they'll they'll put a headpiece in on an outfielder and talk to him yeah. during play. Rory just did that walking up a fairway. He he had an earpiece in and was talking to Jim Nance on the broadcast while he's walking up a fairway. How cool is that? I, I wish that we could have seen it, but, like, uh, the, when I noticed it was happening – it was ending, so I couldn't pot up the audio for you guys to, to hear it. But an on-course during-play interview with a player while he's walking to his ball just happened. And, and golf broadcasts have been experimenting
2: with that throughout the course of the year, but I feel like this is a different level when um, it happens at the Masters. Oh, it's still happening. You want to hear some? Sure. Let's hear from Rory.
4: Got that pot up the hill, and you know, hopefully have a you know have a decent look at it and. Um, you know if i don't hold it get it around the hole and you know start the start the back nine
0: afresh it's one of the beauties of augusta national we all know the golf course so well as you walking up the hill you probably know the line on this putt already yeah i should
4: do if i can sort of see the ball um, yeah yeah it's a, it's actually from from where it is it's it's actually a pretty, uh, it's actually a pretty straight putt. It actually might go a little bit left to right. That's coming off the bunker. Well,
3: just a little taste. How cool is that? That's good stuff.
2: It's good stuff. And I mean, if you don't care about you know putting lines or whatever, I get that. Maybe it's not as interesting to you. But that's, um, that's an, golf is trying, right? And and the PGA Tour and the Masters, which are kind of. I hate to say this, but they're notoriously stodgy and set in their ways. The The live thing has pushed the PGA Tour to be edgier than it has ever been. The No Laying Up podcast has pushed CBS to try new things. Foreplay, the, the golf barstool podcast has pushed golfers to be out there a little bit more to be a little more open to be a little more human and people seem to be gravitating to that and
3: and i think it's good for the game a- absolutely for anything to survive i mean you know pro golf will always be fine just like pro baseball because you've got the purists that will always watch and, and always consume there's always going to be an audience but if you want to grow that and sustain In growth, you've got to get people that maybe aren't the purest to be interested. And from a baseball perspective, the the faster games have helped. What was it? Every game last night was under three hours, every single one. How about that? Uh, And then the, the during game interviews. And that captivates me as a non baseball purist. I imagine if you're not the biggest fan of golf, but you have a day off tomorrow and you get to put on the broadcast and hear a player. While he's walking up the fairway, talk to the broadcast is uh, something interesting that a, a casual fan can actually appreciate. You learn little things when the players actually talk to you. You know?
2: Yeah, yeah, you're uh, you're right about that. Uh, Shane Lowry had a good first round. So did Xander Schauffele, all at four under. Adam Scott uh, made what double bogey on 18 to shoot 68. Or maybe he just bogeyed 18. Uh, Joaquin Neiman's playing well. Uh, how about the amateur? Uh, Bennett, the reigning U.S. Amateur champion, Sam Bennett. is uh, He's four under par
3: at the turn. I was just telling Mike on the text line, that is the most aggressive player maybe of all time. I mean, probably some hyperbole in there, but that kid has no fear. Just went at every pin, just every aggressive line, whatever, man. It's the Masters. I'm a college kid. Just let it fly.
2: Jordan Spieth is 4-under. Gary Woodland is 3-under still on the course. Scotty Scheffler at the turn. He's 3-under par playing in the group with uh, with the amateur Sam Bennett we talked about just a second ago. Uh, Scott Stallings, you remember the guy who uh, they, they sent his invitation to the tournament to the yeah. wrong address? Well, they finally got it right, and uh, he's tied for 14th and 2-under par uh, after his first round. Same thing for Justin Thomas we got plenty to get to with you this afternoon. At Sports Talk Mississippi in the Pearl River Resort Studio. Be right back.
0: This show was previously recorded.
1: You know that nowadays most people go online to look at a business before they spend their money? And a lot of businesses are losing opportunities to get new customers if they aren't online. With the power of STMM Digital, you can reach potential customers and get more referrals and repeat business. The highly trained and trusted team at STMM Digital is ready to work with you to help your business capitalize on the power of digital marketing. Call 601-991-2305 or go to stmmdigital.com to get started today.
0: This show was previously recorded. More Sports
1: Talk Mississippi. Hey, it's go time. Sports Talk Mississippi. Well, say something. Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome again to Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. Thanks for being with us. Alongside Brian Haydad and Michael Borky, I'm Richard Cross. You can be part of the conversation on the C Spire text line at 601-879-4395. Today and tomorrow, uh, and I think even Brian Haydad will get behind this we will spend more time than normal talking golf because the Masters is happening. Part three contest today, first round of the Masters tomorrow. I did not mention Friday because Friday for all of our Super Talk shows will be a, uh, a best-of day. So you're going to hear some of the best-of content from uh, all of our shows on Fridays. We'll have a chance to uh, hang out with our families on uh, on Good Friday leading into Easter weekend. And I think all of us are looking forward to that and hope you will uh, – uh, grant us just a little bit of leniency on Friday for not having a, uh, a live show.
4: Food Thursday?
2: Yes. Got to do it. All right. We, we, you know, we might even double up. Uh, our, our friends at Polk's have been very understanding that sometimes, especially during the spring with baseball going on, Fridays don't happen as they normally do. So we, uh, we'll we do will do Food Thursday. And, uh, and then we'll do a little weekend cookie review next Monday. I th- I think, Absolutely. I think that is a, a fair trade. I think they would be okay with that. So uh, we'll talk about what we're going to cook going into the weekend, and uh, then we'll talk about how it turned out on uh, on Monday afternoon. That all courtesy mm-hmm. of our friends at Polks and PolksMeet.com, who remind you that picky people pick Polks. Fred Ridley is the chair of Augusta National, and he was not, Vanilla. He was not milk toast in his meeting with the media. Uh, he a- answered some pointed questions, and uh, we'll talk about some of what he said a little bit later uh, this afternoon. Because there's, there's some, some kind of cool quotes in there as it pertains to Greg Norman and why he was not invited to be on the grounds at the Masters this weekend. Uh, about the relationship between the live players and the uh, the PGA Tour players, and some uh, some other stuff, uh, including a a really cool qualifying addition that they put into place this year. That uh, a particular Mississippian wishes they had put in place about yeah, six a few years, years ago. Um, Braden Thornberry, who won. The national championship as an individual at Ole Miss a few years ago in golf, with uh, what the Masters is doing going forward, would have had a Masters appearance on his resume. So. All right, hey dad. So a little bit more on this game from last night: twenty-one runs on seventeen hits. The Bulldogs scored nineteen runs in the first two innings, and then the game goes pretty quickly the rest of the way. Two twenty-seven, uh, and probably an hour to play those first two innings of the uh, of the ball game. On the mound last night, you you talked about Parker Stinnett getting the start. He lasted only an inning, gave up a home run, two hits, one earned run, couple of strikeouts. Um, The plan was to pitch a bunch of guys. And the number of guys that they were able to pitch was actually smaller than it would have been otherwise because it was a seven-inning game. So Stinnett goes an inning, Tyson Harden goes two innings, Tyler Davis, an inning. Logan Forsythe, an inning. Cole Cheatham, an inning. Will Gibbs, an inning. Now, if we're being honest, a bunch of those are names that you are not likely to hear this weekend. I don't think. More than likely. Maybe a few, but most are not. And so, a couple of things accomplished last night. There were only four walks. Mm -hmm. So, a lot of strikes thrown. 13 strikeouts, and Mississippi State didn't use up any arms that they could potentially need this weekend in a a quick turnaround.
4: Right. Yeah, and, you know, that's a big thing because you got the Thursday game, and and you don't have the extra day to to rest a guy who might, might have only thrown 25, 30 pitches, but that's something that probably takes him out of the equation. For Friday, if you, if you if you were or for Thursday, if you were doing that, so yeah, for state, like you mentioned, I mean, guys that you might see on the weekend, you might see Gibbs and, and you might see Stanett. You know, they want to, I think they want to try to continue to work him back into things, but you, know, you didn't see uh, Loft. Possibly, that's another guy they're working back slowly from from injury, but for the most part, you know, no, no Dome, no 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 Lofton, no Nixon, so and of course none of the starters, so. Yes, the state's gonna be as, as about as fully loaded from a pitching perspective this weekend that that they've ever been uh, since the season started, you know, since Cade Smith's second start uh, against Arizona State, they haven't had him, and now they'll have him back, Nixon's back, and everybody else that, that has been a contributor is is available to them.
2: Speaking of Cade Smith, so hmm. you go back to Monday when we talked to Chris Lamonis. He talked about how good Cade looked in, in his time but it taking a few weeks to kind of ramping him up to the point where he can throw as many pitches as they would like for him to throw. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a scenario where he starts a game this weekend, but they know that he can only go so far? I mean, whatever that number is, 40 pitches, 50 pitches, 60 pitches, but they say, hey, let's just get this game off to a good start with Cade Smith, and then we'll piece it together after that, or... Do they stick with the rotation from last weekend and try to bring Cole Smith or Kate Smith in rather in a, a spot where, where he can help as a reliever?
4: I think, you know, uh has talked about that with us, and I think he mentioned that they they're still going to work him back slowly. Don't expect him to start this weekend. So I think you probably stick with Sinjay, Gartman and, and Dome. You've got Kate Smith who can give you some extended relief. You've got Bradley Lofton, who should be able to give you some extended relief. Uh, Aaron Nixon, they can be there for the late innings. Evan Sierra has been good uh, in mid relief this year. So, you know, you, you've got seven, maybe eight guys that you, you feel like you can rely on to get outs. Colby Holcomb's another one who's been pitching better as of late that you that you feel okay about. So, no, I don't think Kate Smith will start this weekend. I, I could see him back in the rotation for Ole Miss, but I don't think this weekend he's going to be all the way back.
2: Wouldn't that be something if we saw both Cade Smith and Hunter Elliott get start started Super yeah. Bulldog weekend? I, I, and I don't we know. I, I have no reason to believe that that's uh, on the docket for uh, Hunter Elliott. I, I, I will be curious, and, and Borky, I don't think we've heard anything to give us any understanding about this one way or the other, is does Hunter Elliott come back first out of the bullpen and then slide into a starter's role? Or is it just he's not pitching until he's ready to start and then they're going to run him out there when they feel comfortable with that?
3: That's a good question. Uh, I mean, I'm curious of that myself and and how that looks. I mean, do you want to use him in a role that he's not used to Uh, coming out of a – I mean, is that the best way to rehab a guy is to bring him out of the pen with runners on first and second in the fifth inning – in one out. You know, is that is that the spot you want to bring in a guy that's been starting for you for the last couple of well, not really the last couple of years, more like half a season and then the nine. See, I wonder
2: I wonder if you would handle it differently than that. Not necessarily into it. Like maybe the ball game is a high leverage situation, but maybe you don't bring him into a high leverage situation. Let's you just start just an say, with him. Yeah, I was gonna say let's let's just say that it's not this weekend or next weekend, but say that on Friday in Starkville, Jack Doherty gives you five and a third, and you got to go to the bullpen in the sixth inning, and you want Hunter Elliott to pitch, but you don't bring him in with one out in the sixth. You start warming him up there, and you have him go through a warm-up process like he would as a starter, but you get somebody in to get those last two outs, and then you bring him in with a fresh start in the seventh inning.
3: I don't know. I'm just I'm just yeah. thinking out loud here. It's interesting, I, I, and I haven't heard an update or anything uh, on him either. Threw
2: a bullpen
3: day before yesterday.
2: David Kellam mentioned this on the uh, radio last night. He said, "Look, I'm limited in you know what I can say." He had talked to the to Josh um, Porter, the trainer for Ole Miss baseball, and he said, "Just suffice it to say, yes, Hunter threw a bullpen yesterday, and it went quite well." Well, there you go. That's encouraging news if you're an Ole Miss fan.
3: Especially when, I mean, they have one SEC win. So so it's it's a little goofy to say this right now. But the schedule does set up for them to pile some wins if they can play better. Now, that's a huge if. Circle it right. a couple of times. Underline it a couple of times. If, giant emphasis, neon lights, whatever. But if they can, you know... And last night was a good start, right? It's just one game, it's Memphis, it's a midweek. Three walks and no errors, though. And I was chasing a three-year-old around the house, so I didn't get to see every single pitch, but I don't remember a moment in the game where it was like, ah, that that was a they screwed up there. That yeah. doesn't show up on the box score where something went wrong. I don't even remember that moment. So, if they can play clean baseball with the way the schedule is moving forward, they would have had a couple of wins in hindsight. But, Elliot back, clean baseball... With Missouri and Alabama, and with the way they're playing right now, a chance on the road at Mississippi State and Georgia on the schedule down the road, Auburn. Auburn, they can stack some wins up and give themselves a chance at making the postseason.
2: Grayson Sonia got the start last night for Ole Miss, five innings, three hits, one earned run, got out of a couple of jams, walked forward, and, or excuse me, struck out for and, uh, and walked two last night. Also, Sam Tekoyan, Cole Ketchum, and Braden Jones on the mound. Luke Johnson joins us next. This is Sports Talk Mississippi.
0: This show was previously recorded. This show was previously recorded.
1: It's time for more Sports Talk Mississippi. Finally. Finally! On Super Talk Mississippi, the Super Talk app, and at supertalk.fm. ha <laughs>
2: Welcome again, Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon. We're happy as always to welcome Luke Johnson. He is co-host of the Super Talk Eagle Hour. Joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Luke, always good to catch up. How are you on this Wednesday? Doing good. Uh,
5: Good Easter week going on. Baseball quick turnaround. Golden Eagles headed to Virginia. Uh, going to be wet up there in Norfolk. I know we want to talk some football, but, but uh, they may have to reschedule some of this uh, this series. We didn't really talk about it today, but it's supposed to rain hardcore Friday, late tomorrow night. So if they get tomorrow in, they may have to do some finagling
2: with the, uh, with the schedule up in Virginia. I think that's going to be the case in a lot of places this weekend. I, 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 we were talking about it earlier. The, the forecast in Oxford is for rain. Ole Miss is hosting Arkansas. The forecast in Augusta. For the Masters is for rain over the, uh, the next couple of days. Um, and Tuscaloosa sits right in between those two. So Mississippi State headed to uh, Alabama this weekend. We may have a lot of folks dealing with doubleheaders and trying to kind of squeeze some games in over the, uh, the course of the weekend. How about that game last night though? Uh, down in the bottom of the eighth inning, uh, helped out a little bit by Southeastern Louisiana. A Couple of big hits in the inning as well. They score six and, uh, come from behind and, and get a midweek win that they needed to get.
5: They did. Peyto got a home run early on, so good for him getting some confidence. Dickerson was suspended last night. They, they've got one more suspension left to serve. Uh, that'll be Reese Ewing tomorrow night against Old Dominion. But Dickerson was out, so they kind of shifted the infield around and started hot. And uh, Will Armistead from Mooresville uh, started the midweek and, and threw four shutout innings. And then kind of the bullpen left them, you know, let uh, Southeastern Louisiana back in it. But uh, kind of the biggest play of the game was – was a uh, Rodrigo Montenegro? Those Montenegros, man, they can hit. He got a uh, a two out a uh, single up the middle, tied the ball game, and then Golden Eagles put it away after that.
2: Yeah, so a a good win, and we talked about the quick turnaround. But you know, on the road, back to back weeks, they managed to get two against uh, Troy last week, and kind of oh so close to to sweeping that series. Good old Dominion team. It's tied for first in the Sun Belt at. Uh, at seven and two, along with Coastal Carolina, a series win just feels like it could be really, really big this weekend. Not, not just—I mean, like there's a ton of baseball to play left to play, but in terms of getting a tiebreaker and playing well enough to win at least two on the road against the team at the top of the conference standings, feels like that'd be a big deal.
5: Well, I mean, you know, your first three out of four series in the conference in a new conference. Are on the road. And you look at the Texas State Series, you could have won that, but you won on Troy last week. Uh, Old Dominion is 33 in the RPI, so a series win would be absolutely huge. They're going to – Old Dominion will throw Blake Morgan, a real crafty lefty. And this was, uh, you know, the series last year where Old Dominion beat Southern Miss in Addysburg. And that was a game they beat Tanner Hall in in game one when he struck out 14 Monarchs. Um, Blake Morgan was really good. He only allowed one uh run through seven innings and uh you know you would think old dominion graduated guys like andy uh, Gariola and and matt kootenay off that that gorilla ball team last year they're already at 61 home runs right now they had 128 last year they're at 61 this year batting 315 as a team so so well. fifth nationally in home runs and southern miss got to avoid the long ball especially in their home park and uh but yeah we talked to ted alexander today from uh from old dominion um before they hit conference really they had not played um, very many uh, teams you know high in the RPI uh, they, they played beat Liberty or I'm sorry lost to Liberty um, and and so uh, they had a real nice win on the road against Georgia Southern but this is a team that really really can hit well
2: we'll keep an eye on baseball this weekend with a series that begins tomorrow night um, football has come to a uh, to an end they have the black and gold game on on Saturday and then practiced Monday morning, and then a brief practice yesterday morning, and that kind of put a bow on the uh, the spring practice for for Will Hall's club. What what did you learn? What did you learn this spring?
5: That they are thrilled with the depth that they have on the roster. Um, we had Joe Moreno on yesterday, who is the player personnel guy, and not not to not to be a broken record. Um, but they're just kind of, they look around and they say, this is this is the type of roster we wanted when, when we came in. Really excited, of course, um, at the quarterback position. Uh, you kind of take it for granted that, you know, you can complete a lot of passes at the Division One level. And they saw that in the spring. Um, Will has talked about both Wiles and Edwards being guys that, that came in from programs where, uh, there was expectations, you know, to, uh, to, to play well and, and cultures of winning. Um, Drake Clark, Rodriguez Clark, who transferred in from Memphis, he scored two touchdowns in the spring game. They really feel like they have a solid running back room now. When you have Kenyon Clay from Union, uh, along with Frank Gore Jr., they feel like, uh, you know, they've got three guys um, that can, you know, well, at least two guys that can supplement Frank uh, to, to allow him to, to do what he does. Um, with the, the depth at quarterback uh, and the experience at quarterback now, some of these young receivers that we've been talking about for a year or two years were really able to shine this spring. I mean, uh, a veteran guy like Latrell Jones, uh, who came from Pearl River, blazing fast speed, you, you start seeing now where the ball's being put out there, you know, put where places they can catch. Um, defensively, uh, the, the secondary really uh, really has come along. Uh, some of the younger guys' uh, height at the cornerback position Toll's at 6'1", Caraway at 6'3". Um, so they they feel like the the youth has shown the experience and then the depth behind it. And so I, I think Will's just kind of kind of thrilled to, to where he is right now, um, finally may be able to do some of the things he's been wanting to do.
2: So let's go back to, to what you were talking about a second ago at the quarterback position. You say that they appear to be – pretty pleased with the depth they've got there and think that they've got guys that compete. We've looked at that spot and said, you know, it it feels like maybe they should have been a little bit more aggressive in the transfer portal. What's the balance there? Um, have, Have they got guys that you believe are good enough at that position?
5: So yeah, I mean, so you're looking at you know really four guys. One will be redshirted. Ethan Crawford out of Tuscaloosa. He came in early. Um, Wilkie, for the most part, I would assume they kind of. Will kind of talked about they were going to take it week to week to look like you know his redshirt. But I mean, from from all, uh, all looks, it's probably Edwards or Wiles' job to lose, um, for the simple fact of. Uh, Wilkie, I mean, Will brought it up I and mean, this, this should be like Zach Wilkie's normal first spring in, in a, for a normal, you know, quarterback, but, uh, going into a true sophomore season, but,
2: but when, oh when you the look way, at he started you know, half a what, dozen games last year,
5: including at Miami, that was his first start, <laughs> first career start, uh, in, in, uh, in the Ars Ball. So, so yeah, I, I think they feel like, um, they can compete at that position, and I think from everything that we've heard publicly and, you know, just the chatter, there will not be a starter named, you know, until late in fall camp, and the reason for that, I think there's a lot of reasons. First off, um, let, let the guy, you know, win that in, in fall camp, but maybe the transfer portal, who knows, and I'm not speaking about Wiles and Edwards, you know, their personality or, or the type of people they are, but I'm saying if you name a starter coming out of spring, who's to say that? You're going to look up, and you're going to lose guys off your roster. I mean, we haven't really dabbled with the
2: portal that far to see that, and so I think this will be a battle that goes late into fall camp. And you think it's one of those two guys that wins it when it when it's all said I and mean, done, when the dust settles. I think when it's all said, I think because they have uh, a little
5: more maturity. It's not against like Wilkie's, you know, uh, tool set. I, I do think going in, you could say, you know, it is a three man three man battle. I just think one of those two guys
2: will probably emerge at the end. Um, We know how much Will Hall loves football and loves physical football and loves practice, but he's got a guy that's plenty proven in Frank Gore Jr. How involved was was Gore in spring practice?
5: Well, I mean, like Clark got Clark got most of the carries at at him and Clay. You know, Clark scored uh, two touchdowns in the spring game, and yeah, I mean, what else does does Gore have to? You know, prove himself I mean they know what he what's crazy is you got a guy like that and he is proven at like what every tight every position on the offense except like he could be half of even though he's, he's small he could be half an offensive lineman in his pass bro and you know tight end or whatever but he's, he's proven it everywhere else I mean the dude could probably punt or kick if he wanted to so so yeah I mean he limited in the sense what what else is there to prove
2: yeah, and I, and I guess I was just, you know, even going through practices, did they hold him out some? Did they limit him, or was he just, just full go? Just not as many routes yeah, just, in scrimmage situations. Yeah, just just
5: Frank. Yeah, like like the spring game, you know, you saw Clark getting and, – and that's because they want those other two guys to feel confident. I mean, if you, you you limit Frank in some ways, but you allow those guys to to yeah. be able to see their full full tool set of what they bring.
2: And hey, look! I probably look at the world through a different lens than Will Hall looks at the world. But if I'm in charge there, he doesn't even get a helmet for spring practice. No shoulder pads. We're gonna do a little bit of a uh, little bit of light running, and uh, we might let you experience what it's like to be a manager and, and hand out some water. You're not carrying the football this spring. Not not a, not as long as I'm in charge. But I think Will Hall probably looks at it a little bit different than I do. Yeah,
5: there's some Bobby Hall jeans in there too.
2: That's right. Luke, thanks as always for your time. Uh, Have a great Easter weekend. Happy Easter, guys. He's risen. Have a great day. Luke Johnson, co host of the Super Talk Eagle Hour, joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We will
0: be right back. This show was previously recorded. This show was previously recorded. If it's sports
1: in Mississippi, you'll hear about it here. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: the night of New Orleans last night as the uh, the Pelicans got a big win over the Memphis Grizzlies as we get to the end of the regular season. Playoff's about to begin. Let's talk a little bit about that with uh, Hunter Dawkins who has the Gazebo Gazette. You can read his work online at supertalk.fm. Hunter, good to have you again on the Farm Bureau guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. What a game last night with the Grizz and the uh, and the Pelicans. i
6: tell you what, momentum. Every day, it's up and it's down. One day, you know, we lose to Sacramento. The, the guys, the Pelicans, at least lose on uh, a pretty tough, tough you know, home start, and then come back last night and just take it two 2 All thirty guys, three guys with uh, thirty points. It's uh, it's certainly a good thing.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a good night, and then it, it almost wasn't right. I mean, uh, Borky was running through the uh, the numbers just a second ago in terms of uh, a team. Borky, what was
3: it? Up, up six with eleven seconds to go, or up nine? What, what was uh, the number? It was up six with eleven seconds to go, and teams previous, previously were seventeen thousand four hundred plus and O in that situation. Hundred, it almost
6: was uh, and one. Yeah, that's it. That's the way the talking season's gone, pretty much, from, from the standpoint. Uh, you know, hopefully, we're getting Zion back soon. But then again, you have to look at it from this way: with the chemistry, and the momentum that we have right now with this group of guys. Do we really? Do they really need this uh, platform at the moment? Yeah, it's always you try and figure
2: that out, right? I mean, do you want an absolute superstar back on the floor, or have you kind of figured something out in terms of the way things are going and the way the games are being played? What is the – I mean, so so it's the, the play-in tournament where it looks like the Pels are headed. If you look at their chances of, of getting into the, the big tournament, if you will, uh, and then if they do, the possibility of winning a series, how do you handicap it? Well mm-hmm.
6: – so what you have to look at first, you definitely want to be 7th or 8th. You don't want to be any bit lower than that, because if you're 9 or 10, you're pretty much starting off right at the, the lowest level of the uh, the playoffs. However, uh, if you're 7th and 8th, that gives you a little bit better perspective, at least, matching up with Denver or Memphis. Now, Memphis obviously has been seeing people, but Denver... Even though they've, they've sat the Joker, they've looked a little bit lackluster at least from as up to right now.
2: Yeah, it's always interesting to see how teams round into form throughout the course of the years. I mean, the Lakers, hey dad, were as dead as dead could be, and now all of a sudden, that old guy that uh, that leads them seems to have gotten a little bit of life. Uh, I, I know that, that hey dad, just he's going to not comment when I make a LeBron reference um, <laughs> at all. Um, it, So what's left? Is it one game
6: left, regular season? Is that right? There's there's two games left. Two left, okay. Pretty pretty much, I think, for every team. uh, But for the Pelicans, they have one home game Friday night against the New York Knicks, which the New York Knicks have clinched their first playoff. Well, they've been in the playoffs before, but that's the first time they've clinched in quite a while. I'm not exactly sure of the numbers. But then the last game is against the Timberwolves in Minnesota. That could be... Tested depending on what uh, where the Timberwolves are at, plus you know if if the Pelicans have the chance to get a six to win to get the sixth spot with the win, you better believe that's going to have some uh, some definitely some intensity in it. Yeah, no no question about that. So
2: in terms of what the Pel's have got to do to guarantee. Um, that they are in uh, in good shape because right now they're sitting in that eight spot. There's no, That's right. Right, so they're gonna be in, right? That last night locked them in for sure.
6: They're gonna be in if if there's a loss tonight by either the Timberwolves. Yeah, I believe the Timberwolves are the determining factor. Okay. if they lose a the game, then then the Pels are in seventh or But the Pels want to win out just in case with the Clippers who the Tills have the tiebreaker on, and Golden mm-hmm. State, who they have the tiebreaker on. But the Lakers have the tiebreaker on the tells. So it's kind of a flip-flop, flip-flop. However, if they just went all out, you know, uh, as it is with the NBA, winning is the only answer to everything.
2: Yeah. yeah, and and so it's said uh, five and six currently in the standings. You got the Clippers and the Warriors at forty two and thirty eight, and then you got the Lakers and the Pelicans both at forty one and thirty nine. Everybody with two games still to play. Hunter, um, yeah, anything happening on the uh, on the Saints front as we sit here in what's a, a pretty quiet time leading up to the draft of the league?
6: Well, as you know, the free agency market was jumping off the off the court every single day. There was trade ins, trade outs picking up restructuring this guy, that guy. However, um, it's kind of slowed a little bit, and now the Saints are taking in a lot of different guys for uh, a little little bit of Uh, pre-draft. They've been able to talk with the Tennessee guys, the Ohio State guys, go to the pro days, kind of shape out what they're looking. Me personally, I think that they need to to look into maybe trading up, at least on a few different because they've got eight picks and there's a lot of people that can use other picks whereas alone the saints may, may end up being in a position to get somebody good however i'm not the front office so i don't make those decisions so. all right we will uh,
2: we will talk about that the next time we visit hunter dawkins from the gazebo gazette read it online at supertalk.fm
0: have a good weekend hunter this show was previously recorded Sports
1: Talk Mississippi, your all-access pass to all things sports in Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi, on the Super Talk app, your local Super Talk station, and at supertalk.fm.
2: 4 o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm and Super Talk TV, of course, on your Super Talk Mississippi radio stations. Thanks for being with us. It'll be a part of the conversation. We'd love to hear from you on the ceasefire text line at 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Whether you're looking for fiber to the home, business, internet, and IT services, or wireless They've got you covered. Got you covered at Seaspire. Visit them online at ceasefire.com or you can stop in a Ceasefire store today. We're coming to you from the Pearl River Resort Studios. Pearl River Resort is the home of the Sportsbook at the Golden Moon Casino. Visit them online at pearlriverresort.com or visit them in person inside the Golden Moon at the Sportsbook. So I mentioned a second ago. Or earlier in the uh, first hour of the show, that the chairman of Augusta National, um, Fred Ridley, had some interesting quotes today. He did his news conference earlier today. And one of the things that popped up yesterday or Monday on Twitter was Greg Norman complaining about not being invited. Greg Norman said, funnily enough, funnily, that's a hard word, funnily enough, I haven't been invited. As a major winner, I always was before, but they only sent me a grounds pass last year and nothing, zilch, this time around. I'm disappointed because it's so petty, but of course, I'll still be watching. That was Greg Norman. Fred Ridley, as you would expect, was asked about that today, and instead of avoiding the question, he just took it head on. He said, we did not extend an invitation to Mr. Norman. The primary issue and the driver there is that I want the focus this week to be on the Masters competition, on the great players that are participating, the greatest players in the world, which by our decision in December, we ensured that we were going to honor and be consistent with our invitation criteria. Ridley did say that Norman, who was a runner-up three times at the Masters and a former number one, had only attended the tournament twice in the last ten years, and one of the two times that he attended, it was when he was an analyst for Sirius XM Radio. So... When Fred Ridley was asked if this was a lifetime ban, if Norman would ever be welcome at Augusta again, he said, it's hard to ask that, answer that question because, you know, I don't know where the world is going to be next year or two years from now, but as I stated, I would never say never, but I told you why he had not been invited this year. Augusta can do whatever. Uh, Augusta National, the membership, the, the board, can do whatever they want. They don't need anybody's approval. And in years past, they haven't really cared what other people thought. Now, I do think Fred Ridley is a different type of chairman and a different type leader than Hootie Johnson when he was in charge. I mean, Hootie didn't give a hoot. Nailed it. He, Augusta stood, you you can, you're welcome to debate all-you-want about female membership, should it have happened sooner, et cetera. But Augustus said, we will not be bullied into determining who is or is not a member. We will make that decision when we are ready to make that decision. Martha Burke and Christine Brennan be damned. And they did make that decision. Condoleezza Rice is now a member. Virginia Romady is now a member former CEO at IBM, I think, and there are other female members. And Augusta made that decision when they were good and ready to do it. They would not be forced into it. So, what do you make of the leadership at Augusta saying, no, we're not in writing Greg Norman because we want the focus to be on our competitors and our tournament, not this guy who clearly is looking to make headlines?
3: And that's exactly it. That's what he would try to do. And... I mean, if it's such a big deal, he would have been more than twice in the last decade. Yeah. If it's that important to Greg Norman to be on the hallowed grounds of Augusta. And decorum matters so much to those people. These are the people that when Ricky Fowler was doing an interview with his hat backwards, somebody walked up to him and told him to turn that hat around or else he will be removed from the grounds. And he said, yes, sir, and turn that hat around. I mean, that, that's, that's these people. It is the Truman Show in real life. That's what Augusta National is. It is the most perfect place I've ever been. But if if anybody, at all, attempts to be disruptive or distracting away from the event, they're not going. It's just not going to happen. And I promise you, the the live guys know that. There's, I think, Phil. So Phil rejected being interviewed in the press room, right? I have a feeling that was Phil complying. In a way, with the wishes of Augusta, not so much with anything to do with Liv. Just you're not going to make yourself a spectacle, so it's best if you just don't. And he chose not to. Apparently, he didn't speak at all at the champions dinner last night. Sat at the end of the table and didn't talk to anybody. They won't put up with disruptive people there. It doesn't go down like that. You say mashed potatoes? Guess what? You're out, buddy. It it's a different hey, if, place. If you
2: don't, by the way, if you don't get that reference it's the the reference to regular tour events where you've got the drunk guy that stands behind the tee box and a golfer hits a tee shot and he goes mashed potatoes or yells baba booey they'll they'll send you to the house i
3: I was listening to to max homa on on pardon my take today it's a the, the number one sports podcast in the world millions of listeners and they have a fake awards show at the end of every year where they they call them the takeies and they give goofy awards to all these people. And Max Homa is their buddy, and they gave him an award making fun of the former governor of New York when he said, I'm not something, I am an Italian. I think I can say the word on there, but it doesn't matter. And so when Max Homa goes to all these tournaments, fans yes. call him. I think they call him a a pervert is what they call him. It's it's a joke from a podcast. And Max went on the show this week to say, hey, guys, my wife doesn't like it. It's kind of funny. But if you do it this week, they're going to kick you out. So don't do it. Don't yell that at me because they will kick you out of this tournament. Whereas everywhere he goes, that's what they call him. It's a running joke from a podcast. That's the kind of place this is. Greg Norman's a disruptor. They they don't want him around because he would disrupt, because that's what he does.
2: I got I got two messages from a buddy. These are both pretty good. First one says, uh, Augusta actually has some legal standing here. They should just tell uh, Greg Norman that their attorneys have said he's a liability with as many times as he's choked on the course. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. A bit unkind. Uh, I, I, you know... Yesterday, we were talking about how Tiger Woods shirt fit. I mean, I, I, I understand how stupid that was. It was not, it had nothing to do with Tiger Woods. It had to do with questioning about future fashion trends. And by the way, I saw what Scotty Scheffler was wearing today. His shirt fits bigger than it did last year. Watch the Nike golfers and see if it looks like their, their shirts fit different. I'm telling you, they're cut differently, and Nike's pushing a new trend. But
4: the hate um, line is coming out soon.
2: Well, there you go. Nike, Nike's coming for you. Maybe you'll be a uh, a model for them. Just do it. I don't remember Borky, if we talked about this yesterday. Watching Phil in that interview, he looked he looked like a fifty two year old that was trying too hard to get in shape and was like on the like still in the kind of early part of an aggressive weight loss deal where. Your neck looks a little thin and you look a little gaunt. And you can see a little more gray coming out of the the side of his head. Look, Phil may be in the best shape of his life right now. If if you've watched Phil Mickelson play golf since he was 19 coming out of Arizona State, you've watched a guy whose body has changed more times, more than once, right? He went from, from thin college golfer to people calling him the hefty lefty and his... Man, bosoms to slimming down and trimming down, and and you know being very health conscious. It's almost like he's taking it too far. But my buddy texted me and he said Phil looks like a guy that's fighting demons right now. And I thought that yeah. was that was kind of an interesting way to characterize it, and and maybe spot on. Yeah. Uh, what? Wonder how he'll be received by fans this week. Good patrons. and bad by the patrons.
3: Uh, mostly good. Uh, it, most people don't necessarily care one way or the other. They're just happy to see people that they know. But and that's a good way to put it. it is it, it looks like he's realizing that his legacy is kind of crushed. It looks like he's bothered. That and it's and it's one hundred
2: percent his own doing. One. Yeah. Per, he looks to me like a guy that's going to go out and shoot seventy-seven, eighty-one.
3: I hope not, but...
2: We'll be back. Sports Talk Mississippi on supertalk.fm and SuperTalk TV.
0: This show was previously recorded. This show was previously recorded.
1: If it's happening in Mississippi sports, you'll hear about it first right here. Sports Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome again to Sports Talk Mississippi on this Wednesday afternoon on the eve of the first round of the 2023 Masters Tournament at Augusta National in Augusta, Georgia. That is where Ben Portnoy is, Ben Friend of the show writes for the state in South Carolina. He is in Augusta for the week. Ben, I, I know we talked about this a year ago when you were making your your first trek, your first voyage, and how excited you were about it, and uh, you know what it was like to be there. What, what about returning for uh, for year two and just how how sweet it is.
7: Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I will say, you know, it, you definitely still get the butterflies. I think that I'm by no stretch a veteran here. There are there are far more people who have been here uh, a lot more times than I have. But I think that the thing that you get having been here at least once, and I think that you have an appreciation for it, no matter how many times you come, it's sort of the most fun thing is to watch people who've never been here experience it, and it's really cool. I think that you know, I was standing out kind of by the main gate um, and the main scoreboard, but folks love to take pictures in front of and I was kind of standing there. And it was really fun. I saw this dad and his kid who was probably about 10 years old. And he kind of looked at him and he was like, you know, I think this is better than being in school today. And I was just like this really cool little like heartwarming thing. And, yeah. and you see a lot of that. And I think that that's the thing that makes this place so special is that, you know, everyone here thinks it's the coolest thing in the world, that they're here. And I think everyone next to you feels that way and everyone around the ground feels that way. And I think there's just this really cool aura uh, that kind of comes with that on top of it, just being an amazing, you know, physical place as well.
2: Do you play golf?
7: I do. I do.
2: And have you entered the, uh, the media lottery?
7: It just opened about uh, 20 minutes ago as I got back into the media center. So it's my uh, next step on the, uh, as soon as we, uh, we hang up, that is my next step is to go split my name in the uh, lottery.
2: Good for you. Hope it uh, hope it works out. That certainly would be a uh, a cool experience for you. Hey, let, let's start with, with changes to the golf course. So much has been made of the lengthening of uh, the par 5 13th. They've added 35 holes, uh, 35 yards. can going to play about 545 yards. Um, this is something that had been rumored uh, for a really long time. What about this piece of land? Are they going to buy it from Augusta Country Club? They finally bought it. They took their time in developing it. How's it going to change the way 13 is played?
7: Yeah, you know, it's definitely a real impact. I mean, it's a little bit hard from where you stand as far as like patrons and watching the actual hole um, to kind of see it as far as a depth perception perspective. But you notice it in where guys are landing balls, right? You know, Tiger kind of joked about it yesterday, said, you know, both physically and literally because of, you know, what the hole is and how it sort of he's changed physically. Um you know the the days of him hitting a three wood then an eight iron into the into the green are no longer. Um, and I think that when you look at that, like a lot of guys are laying up. Uh, I was talking to, with Dustin Johnson about this yesterday, and he even said, um, you know, he kind of just roped one out there to kind of see what he could do, and kind of rolled over a drive, which isn't his natural sort of swing path, and uh, he was able to get up there in two. But but you're seeing guys as opposed to hitting maybe a seven or an eight iron in. They're having to hit a five or a six. I think someone told me today that uh, Scotty Scheffler hit a five iron in when he was playing um, mm. a couple weeks ago, and um, that's kind of what you've seen from from a lot of guys. They're having to play a longer iron into the green on a you know side hill lie, so it just makes it a lot uh, a lot less likely to go for it. I think. I think you're going to see a lot of guys lay up, and you know Tiger kind of put it in the context of you know. You might not see as many threes but and, and as many sevens, but you also might see you're probably just going to see a lot more fours and fives. And it will kind of bring it a little bit back to the mean, if that makes sense.
2: Ben, what's the, what's the Tiger buzz this week? I mean, clearly he is not the, the golfer that he once was, but he is still the guy that moves the needle more than anybody else. As you talk to people, as you listen to Tiger talk, uh, like yeah. I feel bad even asking the question. Does he have a chance? I don't ever want to count the guy out, and I think everybody would pull for another magical Tiger weekend in Augusta. But it does seem like the the more relevant question is: Does does Tiger make the cut?
7: It, it's true, and I think that you know when you look at the fact that he made the cut last year. I mean, that was a huge deal, especially being only I think he was only what twelve ish months out from that, that horrific car crash. Right. Um, I think this year there's definitely still the buzz. I think that, you know, it doesn't have, I don't want to say the same juice. That's not maybe not the right way to say it, but um, it's definitely a little bit different. I think it's a little more, almost like you mentioned, like it's a little bit somber in a way. I think that, you know, the way that Tiger was talking the other day, Tiger's definitely really good. at. He's one of these guys that's very good about saying a lot without saying much at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that, um, you know, the other day, listening and sitting in his press conference and then listening to him talk, you know, he was very introspective, and I think that was really interesting. You know, he even said, he's, "You know, he, he said, I'm not sure how many of these I have left," and and I think that that's a refreshingly sort of, I don't want to say, honest, but refreshingly open um, tiger the other day. And I think he said, "You know, this is not a." It, physically it is really hard for him to get around the golf course. And, and Roy McElroy, Roy said the same thing. They played a practice round together the other day, and Roy said, Tiger's got all the shots. It's the, it's the walking around and, and the hills and the elevation changes. I mean, it is, a, it is a long walk and a hard walk to get around this golf course. It and is. I think because of that, um, that's what kind of makes this tricky, so to speak.
2: And it's not just doing it four days, right? I mean, Tiger was there and, and played some holes on Sunday and I'm sure played Monday and Tuesday a little bit. And, and I, not like he's going out and playing 18, but, I mean, it's the the cumulative of, of getting ready for the tournament and then practice rounds to get even further ready for the tournament and then the pressure of playing in a major. So there's a lot there. i, I got to ask you about Phil because – I thought Phil looked bad yesterday when when I kind of watched his outdoor press conference. He's not in the main media center. What's it been like, what's the reception, the reaction to Phil this week?
7: It's actually weirdly understated. I I think that if this had happened last year on the comments that he made and and all that kind of came out of that, it's maybe a little bit of a different animal. Now, I do think that I'm really fascinated to see what the crowds, how the crowds respond to him. I think that Phil is still a magnetic personality. I think people still get behind him. I think people still love the idea of, of Phil competing and all of that. But, you know, you look at his results in the live tournaments, and, and he's been placing at or near the bottom in, in most of those. And those right. are you know, significantly weaker fields now. I think it is interesting that Phil is here. There will be certainly some fanfare when he goes off tomorrow morning. Uh, Again, I'm really curious to see just how crowds respond. I think they will be largely positive, and I think we'd be having a very different conversation if he had showed up a year ago. But I do think that it's going to be – I think people are going to be largely receptive, but with the understanding of sort of where Phil is. But, I mean, I'm not saying the guy's going to go out and win, but he did go and win at Kiowa at 51 years old two years ago, so – it's not completely insane and unheard of, but it's uh, it, it feels increasingly unlikely. I would say
2: visiting with Ben Portnoy. Got a couple of minutes left with him. rights at the state in Columbia and uh, is live from Augusta with us this afternoon. Ben, how many of the live guys legitimately have a chance to win this week?
7: I think you can kind of circle to that being Cam Smith and. And Dustin Johnson. Uh, mm-hmm. Dustin's obviously won here before. Cam Smith has played some really good golf here in the past and has come really close to winning. Um, he he kind of clipped right at Scotty Scheffler's heels early in yeah. that round on Sunday of last year, and, and Scotty took it in control and Cam faded a little bit down the stretch. But uh, he's played really good golf. He's I don't know what kind of form he's in, and you could say the same thing about Dustin Johnson. I think that's the thing that's really hard to peg with the live guys is that. They just aren't playing a lot, and and I know that's a sort of drawn out discussion and is the easy talking point of these guys aren't playing four days worth of tournaments, they're not playing, they're playing no cut, they're not playing as often every week, you know. So I think because of that, it's just really, really, really hard to sort of peg what these guys are going to be. Now again, there's something to the effect of like what we were talking about with Tiger he played this course how many times and and knows his way around this course. And, and, you know, certainly Dustin Johnson and and Cam Smith haven't played as many times as Tiger, but these guys have played a lot of rounds on this golf course. And Cam Smith was talking about it the other day and that this is a place where he feels comfortable and he feels like sometimes he can just find something, um, even if he hasn't been playing great. And I think that Dustin Johnson falls in the same category. So, again, it's really, really hard to kind of peg where these guys are going to be because they just haven't played a heck of a lot of golf. And because of that, we're not really sure what kind of form they're going to be in. But if you're going to circle two of the live guys, I mean, I think it has to be those two.
2: I would agree on those two, but I might, you know, if we're putting circles around them, I might underline three others. And, you know, Patrick Reed, because he's won there before uh, Mm -hmm. Bubba, because he's won there and he feels like a guy that's familiar enough and, and Mike could turn it on. And and then I wonder also about Brooks after after winning on live last week, if maybe he found something and it can be like a lightning-in-the-bottle thing for him.
7: Yeah, I think with Brooks it's fascinating because he's a guy that has always had the physical tools, and we saw, what, I mean, two years ago it felt like Brooks was never going to lose another major. <laughs> that's yeah. Just, yeah, you're that's right. how he was playing. I mean, it was unbelievable. He was running away with tournaments. And, and I think that when you look at what his biggest issue and – you know, folks who's, who've watched the Netflix documentary and everything else. I mean, the biggest thing for Brooks was always confidence. It was never the physical side of it. And, and we see that a lot with guys. But the thing with him was always that, that mental side of it. And he's feeling better about things right now. And because of that, I think that you can – he's a guy that should play into the weekend, you would think. He's played pretty well here before. Um, and I think because of that, he's, like you said, another guy that, that I would definitely underline along with those two uh, past champions.
2: Ben, if time works out, we'd love to visit with you tomorrow afternoon and kind of get a first-round update and uh, talk more about this. If not, I certainly understand. But thanks so much for uh, spending a few minutes with, this after- with us this afternoon.
7: Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. I look forward to talking, man.
2: Sounds great. That's Ben Portnoy from the state in Columbia covers uh, covering the Masters live from Augusta. Joining us on the Farm Bureau guest line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau.
0: This show was previously recorded. This show was previously recorded. Sports
1: Talk Mississippi on the Super Talk app, your local Super Talk station, and at supertalk.fm.
2: Memorabilia collectors are a little bit of a different breed. I'm not talking necessarily baseball card guys. I'm talking about people that spend lots of money at high-level auctions for sports memorabilia. And they do it, sometimes it's because of a passion for a sport or a player, but usually it's kind of an investment. A record was set for a baseball bat at auction. Hunt Auctions has announced the private sale of a bat used by Babe Ruth around 1920, 1921. And this one is different because it is the only known example to offer photographic corroboration of being a game-used bat. There is a picture of Babe Ruth with this bat at the polo grounds that people who are smarter than we are have dug through the evidence and said this is the same bat. It went at auction for $1,850,000. So here's the question that I have for you guys. Let's just put you in a, um, a, a Forbes 100 list category. Their new billionaires list came out yesterday. I'm not saying that you're Elon Musk or Bill Gates. But let's just put you in the, you have income on top of income on top of income, and you can spend whatever you want on whatever you want. And you're a sports nut. What is the piece of sports memorabilia that you would pay a ridiculous amount of money for it, knowing that it has no effect on your ability to pay bills or send your kids to college or give charitably. It's just what is sometimes referred to as a dirty word, you money. It's, it, it's just, it's like you got 10 million laying in change in the couch cushions money. So what piece of sports memorabilia? would you love to own? Because to me, that's really cool. A a bat that Babe Ruth used in a game at the Polo Grounds, that's really cool. And and so somebody that has the money to burn or is looking at it as a long-term investment, spending $1,850,000 on a bat, while absurd, doesn't seem like the craziest thing ever.
4: What would it be for you? So... I'm going to go for stuff that's good for me. I'm not necessarily looking at, like, historical stuff, right? Okay, like, that's thing is cool, but, like, I'm not a Yankees fan, so. I'm going to, like, want, can I get game-worn jerseys? Could I get the game balls from the Saints Super Bowl win? Ooh. From a Lakers World Championship game. You know, like Magic Johnson's uh, jersey from a, from a championship game. A Giants Madison Bumgarner game-worn Game 7 jersey. Is that available to me? Stuff like that. That that's where I'm going.
2: If you could get Drew Brees' Super Bowl jersey, yes, that's it. That's, I would that, take that's it. what you're yeah, doing. I would.
4: Yeah, I would, I would. I would want that. Yeah, framed up on the wall. Yes,
3: Porky, what would it be for you? So it, it's going to be kind of cheesy. I have a relative that was on the original Pottsville Maroons in Pottsville, Pennsylvania and they were one of the first professional football teams. Okay. And I would love to number 1 get like do the whole ancestry.com thing and, and and learn about him more, but anything that I could find from that team and him in particular, a leather helmet, a pair of cleats, a jersey, something like that. And my my grandmother recently passed away, and she had dementia uh, for you know, and it lasted a while, and so she couldn't really help us in our search for anything because yeah. she couldn't really remember. But we knew okay. that on the original roster, a relative of ours, her great great grandfather or whoever it is, uh, was on that team, but sadly she couldn't give us much more detail than that. So so I've taken on like a little side project to, to try to process of eliminate some of these guys and, and figure out which one it is. And I, w- I want something from that team, something that I can get my hands on, and it's going to take me a while to figure it out. But ever since I learned that, and, and, and we asked her about it, and she couldn't really answer, I've, I've been yeah. so curious about it.
2: Man, some, some great submissions on the ceasefire text line. I'll, I'll, I'll read these in just a second. I'll tell you what mine is, I think. I'd like to have Jack's putter from 1986.
4: That's a good one.
2: And if if there was a way to buy the golf club that Gene Sarazen hit the shot heard around the world in 1935 at Augusta, I think that'd be a really cool one as well. All right, so so here are some of yours: a Lawrence Taylor Super Bowl jersey. Okay, assuming you're a Giants fan. The baseball... (laughs) The baseball Randy Johnson threw that destroyed the flying bird midair. Okay? (laughs) Walter Payton's 1985 Super Bowl jersey. Bobby in Batesville. You, Bobby, and JC in Tupelo have both said the puck that was the game-winner from the miracle on ice game. Ooh, that's a great 1980. Betrayal. And remember, remember, Betrayal. it was not the gold medal game. That was the semifinal game. That's correct. It was, the, it, was the, it was the semifinal game. Um I would like Tiger Wood's set of irons from his first master's win. Okay. Uh a case. With five World Series game-used gloves worn by Derek Jeter in each of the five World Series, he won as a Yankee. Wow. Yeah, I I would say that that would be really cool. Elijah Moore's helmet from the leg-hype game. Okay? All right. Hank Aaron's bat and ball from seven fifteen. That cost you a little. Tiger Woods, it's Scotty wood. Cameron putter. Isn't he still using his original, or at least some of the time? Am I crazy, Bork? Here, does he still putt with his original Scotty Cameron from like nineteen ninety seven?
3: The the Scotty Cameron with the ping grip.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Tiger Woods' Masters winning golf bag and clubs. A lot of Tiger stuff here. There's another one for uh, Tiger's putter. Tony and Clara says, A seat from Old Yankee Stadium for my outdoor kitchen. Bear Bryant's fedora. Okay. The baseball from Pete Rose's record-breaking hit. The basketball from the 1983 NC State game. Air ball, put back, dunk. It was a pass, right? Yeah. Ooh. Sure. Keith and JS. Dale Earnhardt's helmet from his Daytona 500 win. Oh. Here's a good one. The onside kick ball from the Saints Super Bowl win. That's a good one. That is a good one. Here we go. I found the matching game worn Boston Red Sox wool jersey and pants at Boo For- Ferris Warren Games. I bought it from a guy in Boston. Boo verified it by looking, showing me before he died that he wrote his name under the tag. It's now sitting in a museum at Delta States Field. That oh, that's cool. Is yeah, that really cool. Really cool. Nolan Ryan's, uh, a baseball from Nolan Ryan's last game. Jason in Tupelo says he would like And again, we're going like, you're a billionaire with a sports memorabilia fetish. What's the one item that you would spend stupid money on? In light of somebody paying $1.85 million for Babe Ruth's bat that he used in 1920 or
3: 21 at the Polo Grounds. The side-by-side images of the picture and the bat do paint a pretty compelling case that it's the same bat. Yeah, yeah, no question. The first baseball pitch to Jackie Robinson in his
2: first Major League Baseball game. That's from Jason and Tupelo.
4: There's no way that exists. There's no way it's still out there.
2: Jeff says the David Tyree helmet from the Super Bowl. It's a great Ooh. one. Okay, like, I love that people have come with different angles. So hey, Haydad said he'd like to have Drew Brees' Super Bowl jersey. He'd pay stupid money for that. We got somebody who said the onside kick ball from the Super Bowl. How about this one? The ball from the punt that Steve Gleason blocked. That's a great one.
4: That's a great one, Yeah.
2: Zach in Oxford says, I'll go ahead and take Muhammad Ali's gloves after he beat George Foreman.
4: That's a good one.
2: Uh, the shoes Jordan wore when he made the shot. Which the shot are we talking about? But against the that's Cavs. the
4: problem with Jordan, right? we got a couple of... A couple of uh, that's, that's that one, the Suns. Are we talking about North Carolina when they won the national title? Which one?
2: The up and under against the Lakers. As I ever was. Yeah. There are a lot of the shots with Jordan. We'll be back Sports Talk Mississippi. But I'm as good once as I ever was.
0: This show was previously recorded. This show was previously recorded. The
1: best best. sports talk in the state. It's the
0: best thing. Say that again.
1: We the best on three. One, two, three. We the best. Sports talk, Mississippi. Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: You guys are great on the C Spire text line at 601-879-4395. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi, brought to you in part by Visit Oxford. Find them online at visitoxfordms.com. You can go and get on their website all of the information that you need for the Double Decker Arts Festival, which is the last weekend in April. We will be there on Friday, April twenty eighth. I believe it is broadcasting on the square that afternoon. Great music lineup, great food lineup. You can also pre order merchandise if you are interested in shirts or the uh, double decker art poster that so many people have collected through the years, or hats. You can uh, can get those in advance online and not have to fight the lines uh, on site at Double Decker Sports Talk, Mississippi. Uh, thanks to our friends at Visit Oxford. Uh, Partial presenting sponsor of the show. So, Jim and Hernando. He kind of he kind of changed the rules of what we were doing, but it leads me to uh, something that I want to say. I don't know if I have ever said this before or not. So, people were we, we were talking about in light of Babe Ruth's bat, a one of Babe Ruth's bats being sold at auction for one point eight five million dollars. If you had ridiculous money, and you wanted to buy a piece of sports memorabilia, what would you buy? So people were telling us what they would buy. Some great submissions. A couple of people have mentioned the club and ball that Alan Shepard, the astronaut, hit on the moon. Wouldn't it be hard, Borky, to get the ball? Uh, ask one.
3: He's got to send a rocket to find it, isn't he? Uh, well, everybody knows that the moon landing was faked, and you just have to go down to Los Angeles and find the studio oh, that they oh, oh, shot okay. the scene in and go get the ball. Obviously. Okay, well, I mean, obviously. Up. So Jim
2: and Hernando actually sends us a piece of memorabilia that he owns. He says, I have a three iron that belonged to Kerry Middlecoff. My guess is there are many of you listening who do not know who Kerry Middlecoff is. He says he also has a putter that belonged to his father, Herman, Kerry Middlecoff's father, Herman, who is his dad's first cousin, and says he's given both of them to his son for his 40th birthday. Jim and Hernando, thanks for the message. Kerry Middlecoff is a former professional golfer turned dentist. He did not become a dentist out of necessity, like he wasn't good enough to cut it on tour. Kerry Middlecoff played college golf at Ole Miss and picked up a um, doctor of dentistry from the University of Tennessee. And he was a dentist in Memphis, lived, lived his adult life after he finished playing golf in Memphis. He has 39 PGA Tour victories. Including the 1955 Masters, the 1949 U.S. Open, and the 1956 U.S. Open. A three-time major champion. Porky, how many times did you play golf at the Ole Miss golf course when you were in college? Oh, for a while, like every week. Okay, so... Over the All course the of four years, 50, 50 rounds at the Old Miss Golf Course. Oh, I bet more even. Yeah, but, but 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 for sure. Yeah. How many times did you stop by and uh, and check out the the shrine to carry Middlecoff in the in the clubhouse?
3: Would have been really hard to do. I. This has to happen.
2: It has to happen. How is there not a glass? case with memorabilia and like a shrine to a three-time major winner, including two U.S. Opens and a Masters champion that played golf at your school? How's that not happen? Or somewhere on campus or, or in the – like when they finish the Manning Center and they're doing the, the Hall of Fame stuff, like there's nowhere else to do a great Hall of Fame thing. There has to be something to honor Dr. Kerry Middlecoff. I I, I, I just don't get it. He passed away in 1998 at the age of 77. Played on three Ryder Cup teams. Three-time major winner. But, anyway. Sorry, I just... I wanted to say that. Like if Chris Malloy's listening this afternoon, coach, let's get it done. Keith Carter's listening this afternoon. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. Let's get it done. Let's figure out a way to get that done. Cause I don't think it should be that hard to do and you're talking about one of the greatest golfers of all time.
3: There needs to be like a not not just like a glass case, but there needs to be like a middle cough room. On the grounds, there. Like an yeah. entire space dedicated to somebody like that. Should be. Certainly should be.
2: Won 39 PGA events and three majors. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm, supertalk TV. This was fun. Thanks for all of your submissions on the uh, Ceasefire text line at 601 879 4395. Five o'clock hour coming up college football fix, and a whole lot more with you. This
0: is Sports Talk Mississippi. This show was previously recorded. This show was previously recorded.
1: Sports Talk. Sports Talk Mississippi. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, 5 o'clock hour, fast-moving show. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm and Super Talk TV. And, of course, on your Super Talk Mississippi radio station, we got you covered in all 82 counties from the coast to the Tennessee line, east to west, and all areas in between. Sports Talk brought to you in part every day by Genteel Apparel. Find them online at genteelapparel.com. Spring collection is out. New colors, new styles. They look fantastic. They feel fantastic. they make you look great and make you feel great. You can also check out the Collegiate Collection. Get your team's logo. Low-key, classy, sharp-looking to help you look your best on game day. Genteel is the official apparel provider of Sports Talk Mississippi. Check them out online at genteelapparel.com. We are coming to you from the Pearl River Resort studio. PearlRiverResort.com. Go there to see everything that's happening on the event page, including how you can buy tickets for Sawyer Brown or Jeff Foxworthy or Fluffy coming up later this year or uh, later this summer as well. Let's jump in right now to the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. So, Forky, let's, let's call an audible on the, uh, the college football fix. There's some updated, well, I mean, we can just mention this in passing. We thought the transfer portal window was not opening
3: until May, but it's actually earlier than that, correct? Yeah, two weeks. All right, no, ten days. Forgive me. The 15th. April 15th is when that portal is going to open again. And, buddy, if you thought the window a few months ago was crazy, this one's going to be a little chaotic because the post-spring Uh, guys are going to go through spring they're going to see where they are on the depth chart they're going to have their spring game and they are going to sayonara and also you're going to have teams that are going to look at what they have during the spring go through all the 15 practices have a spring game and realize whoa we need this 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 and this so that's happening two weeks sooner than we initially thought
2: bigger deal for players or teams
3: Teams. Are, 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 sort of hand-in-hand, hand, isn't it? I think I think the answer is teams, though. Because uh, look, if an individual player, you know, realizes in the spring he's going to be third string and he hits the portal, uh, okay. But there are going to be a bunch of teams that are going to be desperate for positions that aren't going to have many impact guys in the portal. If you're starting defensive end after spring practice, usually not hitting the portal in some In some cases, they will you've got the tampering thing that's going on. If East Carolina has a really great linebacker or whatever, and Georgia Tech wants him, he might jump in and go. but generally speaking, there's going to be a bunch of desperate schools after guys that uh, a limited number of guys
4: yeah, you know and there's a lot of teams out there like Mississippi State that have to get under a number right now, state's sitting at ninety scholarship players they got to be at oh, wow. 85 but on the fall. They need five guys to go, and you know I don't know but who. But really, five they need more than going five going guys to, to go, don't they? In reality, yeah, because they probably would like to go out and get a couple more guys as well. You know, I think state is in sort of a you know best available mode. They're not particularly looking for one thing out of the transfer portal, but if a, a player they felt could contribute and make an impact was was there, they'd like to get him. And they're going to need people to do that. So state's already seen Marquez Dortch go into the transfer portal this uh, this spring. Um, There's rumors going around that Jack Harris has has left the team But I don't know that I can't confirm that Um, So we'll see, but State needs four or five more guys to to hit the road And And they're not the only ones
2: Recruiting is the lifeblood of teams And now recruiting looks different Because of the transfer portal And trying to figure out how you handle the transfer portal versus how you handle high school and the right mix. But, like with everything in life, recruiting costs money. And some schools have a lot of it. And some schools have less of it. But everybody has to decide how to spend what they have. Georgia has won back to back national championships. Is it any surprise that in 2022, Georgia spent more money in recruiting? And and I'm talking about university spending. Yeah, recruiting. We're not talking about buying classes. We're not talking about NIL. We're not talking about under the table. We're talking about recruiting budget for the football program. Georgia spent $4.5 million in 2022 in recruiting.
6: Those that's helicopter a million trips are and
0: expensive
2: yeah yeah that's a million and a half more than Texas A;M spent no other team in the SEC spent more than three million dollars in 2022 and the five-year average for Georgia between 2017 and 2022 was 2.75 million. So you got Georgia, that in 2022 reportedly spent four and a half million dollars. Texas A&M spent 2.9. Tennessee spent two 2.9. Alabama only 2.3. Let's let's just stop and think about that for a second. Alabama spent two million two hundred thousand dollars less. In recruiting than Georgia spent. What's Georgia spending the money on? What are they doing differently? All right, let's bring it home. Home to the state of Mississippi. Ole Miss's 2022 recruiting expenditure was $1,269,391. It's a big number. It's $3 million less, $3.3 million less than Georgia spent. But it's still a big number. Roughly the same as Auburn and Arkansas. One above them, one behind them. The thing that stands out for the Ole Miss recruiting budget is the five-year average between 2017 and 2022 was $671,000. They doubled in 2022 what they averaged over the previous five years. There's an investment happening there. What about Mississippi State? Mississippi State's five-year average in terms of recruiting budget, 17 through 22, was $406,000. And their 2022 expenditure was $633,000.
4: It's kind of an embarrassing number if you're Mississippi State. You can't convince me that a a university that receives forty plus million dollars a year in in SEC TV money, can't invest a million dollars into recruiting for the football team, the single most important entity on the campus. That's that's an embarrassing number for Mississippi State, in my opinion.
2: There are three schools in the SEC. Probably four, but we don't have Vanderbilt because, again, Vanderbilt doesn't report anything. Feels like probably four, though, that spent less than a million dollars. One of them is going to surprise the heck out of you. Kentucky spent 917000 so they're just shy of a million. LSU spent $742,000 in recruiting. But... How much of LSU's roster comes from the state of Louisiana?
3: Right, they don't have to travel much. To just throw a rock to ten five stars.
2: I would be willing to bet that if we look at the twenty twenty three numbers a year from now, under Brian Kelly, that the recruiting budget went up e- at LSU,
3: even despite Probably. that fact. Yeah,
2: and then you got Mississippi State at six hundred thirty three thousand. We don't know what Vanderbilt is.
3: As you mentioned, is uh, I assume pretty low.
2: Uh, One thought that jumps out at me, as it pertains to Ole Miss, paying your football coach nine million dollars a year, and you are spending—you've doubled your recruiting budget. I don't think there's an Ole Miss fan out there that is out of line for expecting high-end results. And you can decide what you think high-end results are. Better than what Ole Miss has been. Elevate the floor of the program. We'll pick this up when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm and SuperTalk TV. We'll be right back.
0: This show was previously recorded. This show was previously recorded.
1: Sports Talk Mississippi. Sports. 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 On your radio and in the game. Super Talk Mississippi.
2: the entire story and kind of look nationally at the uh, recruiting budgets, you can do that at cbsports.com. Just go to the college football page and find that and and kind of dig into it a little bit. So the point that I was making before we went to the uh, break, actually let me pause there for a second. We've got semi-breaking news, something that we were talking about earlier. Mississippi State Series begins with Alabama tomorrow, and hey, Dad, a little bit of a surprise with the announced rotation.
4: Bit. Yeah, uh, we, we we talked about it, but you know, I said I didn't think it would happen, but as always, not correct. Cade uh, Smith will get the start on game one, so he will he will take over the uh, the Friday night spot, although it's a Thursday. Jerangelo uh, Sanjay goes to Friday, and game three will be Landon Gartman. So Kate Smith back in it, and uh, hopefully the Bulldogs have got the guy they they thought they were going to have at the start of their rotation uh, at the beginning of the season.
2: He looked really good in the limited work that he had last weekend.
4: Yeah, was up around 96, where if you go back to the uh, Arizona State game, he was 93-94 at best. So got some velocity back. I I think the rest has done him some good, and uh, we'll see what kind of outing he can give the Bulldogs on Thursday.
2: Yeah, That's great news for Mississippi
4: State baseball. Great news. Huge news. They need it. They need it badly.
2: So talking recruiting budgets and – I was just kind of making the statement before the break that I don't think Ole Miss fans, and Lane Kiffin might disagree with this, but I, I think his argument would would be wrong, whatever it was. Expectations for Ole Miss football among its fan base. I think it's okay that they're higher than they've ever been. Now, Insert your jokes about Ole Miss football expectations among Ole Miss fans however you want to. I, I, I get it. I, I get it. But if you're going to pay top ten money nationally for a coach, you're going to double your recruiting budget, although Lane Kiffin would probably argue it needs to be doubled again. From There was a long way to go, right? I mean, it was at the bottom of the league, along with two or three other programs. But you've made a significant commitment in doubling your football recruiting budget. You've made a significant commitment to staff. You've made a pretty big commitment to NIL collective, Grove collective. Ole Miss has given its football program and its football coach Pretty much everything it's asked for. like the number of analysts that they have added, support staff that they have added, resources that they have added, it, it it's on a level playing field with the teams that are at the top of the SEC, the top half of the SEC. There are fewer
3: excuses. And that I mean, money doesn't just automatically make a job better, right? Money doesn't change the fact that you live in a very small state population-wise. It produces players, but it's still a small state. It doesn't change the fact that you don't have a major metropolis in the state. I know Memphis is nearby, but you get my point. It doesn't change the fact that you share this small state with another SEC school. There are inherent things that keep the two SEC programs in this state down that they can't really control. But I go back to... When all the Auburn stuff was going on, and somebody leaked to Chris Lowe that if Lane left Ole Miss for Auburn, it would be because of NIL, well, that excuse is gone, right? Because they raised more than Auburn publicly says that they do, or that they have, anyway. Well, I mean, there is a question there about sustainability. But, of but course, yes. but still. I mean,
2: in in you know, spur to action, call to action, people respond. They did. They responded in a big way.
3: There's no longer the excuse of, of staff. Now, you don't have the same money as A&M or Alabama, but they have more, as you mentioned, than they ever have had before. The, the recruiting budget's doubled. That There are fewer and fewer excuses for Lane Kiffin to not succeed at Ole Miss. And look, he's won 18 games in two years. Only two programs have won more than that, so he is succeeding. But it's not unfair to think that 8-5 and five doesn't, can't be acceptable moving forward. The way that season ended cannot be acceptable moving forward. Yeah, and I think the easy thing to do is good, is to go
2: well. You know, Ole Miss lost five of its last six. That's not. I, I I get that. You you can't you can't just all of a sudden say we're going to spend the necessary money and the results happen that day. You've got to make a commitment to spend the money and then continue to spend the money. But, and and that's where I'm going, because because Hunter, I mean, Hunter hit us on the ceasefire text line a second ago with, uh, you know, they did what? Spent that to to lose five in a row? Okay, that's fine. If there is a sustained commitment monetarily, then it is okay for the expectations to change. And frankly, the expectations should change.
4: And anyone who disagrees with that is a homer that is just doesn't want to criticize the university if you when you spend the kind of money, when you're spending nine million dollars on a head football coach what you're saying is we expect to be a consistent presence in the college football playoff now especially when it's going to 12 teams you expect to consistently be le- in that discussion
2: in the discussion I think that's right I, sorry I'm not trying yeah. to point at you I just had a sorry um it's a dip tool. What I just that? had one. I was just like fiddling. Um, what are we yes, doing? I, I, I think the, I think the in the discussion you need a thing fidget is right. Spinner? Yeah. I'm, I'm normally just, not fidgety not. with my hands. But I just anyway. Um, all right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's right. Does it mean no, you have to be in the college football right. playoff every year? No, it doesn't. Does it yeah. mean you have to have a team that is competing for a spot in the it's, college football playoff every year? No, it doesn't.
4: But you need it to be relevant. That and
2: you need to be in the conversation your, more times than not.
4: Your transition years need to be like seven and five. They can't mm-hmm. be five and seven. You know, you have a year where, okay, let's look ahead to like two years from now. Let's say Dart comes back for his senior year. Judkins is back for a junior year, right? Holmes has a great season in 25. Is that right? Is that the year? Uh, yeah, 24. I'm sorry. Okay. And then they both go. You know, that's two year superstars gone. And you don't really do a, You can't really replace them. You know, twenty twenty five. You 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 know you, you go seven and five. You can't drop down to five and seven. You can't have you know, you can't have a, a Birmingham Bowl year if you're paying your coach nine million dollars a year. You just can't.
2: I I completely agree. Completely agree. Bobby and Batesville says he also got Golding, two people that ran two sides of Alabama football, both schemes won national titles. They did also and, have to Pete the Golding is who Lane Kiffin wanted, and they they had to buy out the Pete Golding had a buyout in Alabama that Ole Miss had to pay.
3: And they also had to buy out Partridge.
2: So there, there, there's a lot there. Will and so, Upore says is Lane worth the nine million, or should a quarter of that go somewhere else, like recruiting? Well,
3: I, I mean, third in the SEC and wins in the last two years. That I mean, yes. If that continues, if he wins 18 games every two years in perpetuity, he'll go down as the second greatest football coach in Ole Miss history. Only behind the guy that won titles in the '60s, in the late '50s. That's it. If you can if win nine really games a year
4: Steve Sloan here,. Uh, okay.
2: yeah. and, and, and look, I mean, OK. I'm not trying to use his words against him, but they are his words. In his introductory press conference, Lane Kiffin said, quote, We didn't come here to be good, we came here to be great. His words. I mean Introductory press conference. Didn't come here to be good. Joe had, came here to be great.
4: Joe Moorhead talked about ring sizes. It got thrown in his face every day. I mean that's when you say it, you gotta live up to it. And if you don't, then you get fired. L-
2: let Lane Kiffin famously you know, thanks, I guess, to the fans who were so excited that we were competitive with Alabama. We didn't come here to be competitive. We came here to win. Okay? All right. Do it. You came here to win, your words. Came here to be great, your words. You're being compensated at a top ten level. You have the resources with staff, both on field and off. Recruiting budget is doubled, all those things. And And so, yes, the expectations go up.
3: Now it's his turn. I think that's the key. Now it's his turn. I, I think it's inarguable to say that Keith Carter and Ole Miss hasn't stepped up at every... I mean, to, to the point where they're, they're straining. They're doing everything they possibly can to make football competitive. And, and yes, folks like Connor will say they, they can never be, but they're trying. They're doing everything they possibly can. You need NIL money? We'll do it. You need whatever to, we'll to do. To point we'll, that it's
2: uncomfortable.
3: Yeah. And so... Now that they've done that, it's now his turn. No more November like last year. And I'm not exactly talking about losing football games.
2: The expectations are elevated because the coach, Lane Kiffin, said the expectations needed to be elevated. And, and so with that, you, you, you don't get to be frustrated with fans. If they're frustrated with results when you were the one that set the expectations i think that's completely fair sports talk mississippi the pearl river resort studio we'll be right back
0: this show was previously recorded this show was previously recorded
1: sports talk mississippi sports Sports talk mississippi you
6: know i love sports
1: on super talk mississippi
6: you need
2: Just a quick look nationally. From this story at, at other conferences in terms of recruiting budgets, Clemson has, a uh, in 2022, had a $3.15 million recruiting budget, so that's bigger than everybody else in the SECs other than Georgia.
3: Yeah, and they kind of have to, right? Because they recruit nationally. The, that state, and of course South Carolina is also in that state, similar problem to Mississippi, doesn't produce like even Mississippi does. So, so they've got to go elsewhere to get players. And yeah. also, you know, but they...
4: They, they are close enough to the Georgia
3: border that they can go yeah. into that area pretty easily. So They're extravagant spenders. They would be a really good yeah. fit in the SEC. A ton of hubris, a lot of it unfounded. Great you, facilities, great stadium, great fans, awesome town. A lot of hubris that's unfounded. I mean, they fit right in. You, you, you've said that twice. Uh, for, for emphasis.
4: What about their hubris? Is it
2: unfounded? It's
3: unfounded.
4: Uh-huh.
2: They do have a couple of national championships in the last decade. So it's three
4: total. It's
2: kind of founded,
4: they kind of a rock too. They, they, I've heard.
2: How I think they named it after some guy named Howard Richard. You were off the day we read a column
3: written by a Clemson.
2: Oh Rump God, Order, I forgot about
3: the Where after UCF swept them in baseball, they went. The, the baseball team went and touched the rock and ran down the hill. And that's all they did. Like it just they had fun. They filmed it. They swept Clemson. No big deal. This guy was so up in his feelings, Richard, about disrespecting a prized college football tradition and that UCF should issue an apology to all Clemson fans and the administration I mean, at the school. Aren't
2: they kind of respecting it by doing what they did?
3: I mean, their thought after a sweep was hey, that rock thing's awesome. Let's go do it. But
2: yeah, oh man, Richard, I was dying reading that. Biggest spender in the Big Ten is Michigan. Surprising. You know what's really surprising yeah, is who the State. second biggest spender is in the Big Ten. Penn
3: State.
4: It's a P- Penn State?
2: They're third. Oh, wow. Wisconsin. Rutgers.
4: Michigan State?
2: Rutgers no. is two at $1.6 million.
4: I mean, you talk about an area bereft of talent, New York, New Jersey, there's just not a lot of a football talent there. you got to go outside for that. And, in and the, Greg Schiano was... Always the guy who recruited in the South When he was his, his first tenure at Rutgers He's probably doing it again So he A
2: lot at Florida A lot Backing Florida. up the
4: frequent flyer Yeah
2: uh, One and two in the current Big Ten Are soon to be in the SEC Oklahoma at 2.6 Texas at
3: 2.4 So Texas no spent on Arch Manning Six times more than they spend on Like school issued recruiting Well
4: te- Texas didn't spend that
3: True And by the
2: way, those are the only two teams in the Big 12 that spend over a million dollars on recruiting. It shows. Pac-12, Oregon 1.8, Washington 1.4, Arizona 1.3.
4: Oregon, is it's all shoes. That's all that is. They don't have anything else. They're just giving out free Nikes.
2: I actually would love to see a breakdown of what this money goes for, and I would... I mean, I would be willing to bet every dollar in Haydad's pocket right now that the overwhelming, like that the largest expenditure for every school is private air travel.
4: It's, it's probably private air travel and food. Yeah. I mean, there was that article last year where, you know, the the Texas, when they had Arch Manning on, on the official visit with like 10 other guys, and they dropped like 50K at a restaurant. I mean, that's happening yeah. a lot. Sure. You're always having, you know, catered stuff up there. Yeah. Private and there air different is definitely up there.
2: Yeah. I mean, there are different ways that, that schools calculate that also, right? I mean, there's some schools that own their own planes, and so they. Only have to play, pay you know fuel expense or pr- pilot expense. There's somewhere the school leases a plane. There's somewhere a donor, you know, allows a plane to be borrowed, but then gets credit on an hourly rate. Uh, there's somewhere you right. just have to charter a plane. And so if you how don't, do you handle it? Um, I just fly my own.
4: Are you let you just like Kevin you use fly it, and Kiffin's in the back.
2: No, he's got other people he uses for a plane.
4: I don't want to find out. He's not using cross. Cross, cross. (laughs) If the recruits saw the luxury of cross one, they would sign on the dotted line. Yeah,
2: nobody else is breaking wind in the seats of my plane. (laughs) Look, I mean, you know, when you get to a certain level, you you get to make life choices. (laughs) (laughs) Ha. God, hey, Dad. God, hey, Dad, Chuck. It's been, a, it's been a little while since we've had a belly laugh. I think we got it right there.
4: <laughs> that, was, that one got me. That one got me. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Who, um, who's winning the
3: Masters? Uh, the 13th hole. I like what they did there. We were talking about it during a break. I think that's the winner of the weekend. Uh, joking aside, I really do like what they've done there. B- backing that up, having such an iconic par five be reduced to driver mid iron, easy shots into a green. I, I saw uh, No Laying Up earlier shared uh, images of Nick Faldo back before that you had these drivers where you could hit it 375 yards without breaking a sweat. And he's got like 223 into the green. And he is just agonizing over what to do. Do I go for it? Do I lay up? Do I go for it? Do I lay up? And we need that back on that hole. Because that hole should be risk-reward off that huge sloping hill that TV doesn't do it justice. You're basically swinging a baseball bat off that hill. And it shouldn't be an 8-iron in. Because that's too easy for those guys. It should yeah. be a 4-iron a in. Make them risk hitting it in the water. Add that back into that. I'm, I'm glad they did that. But um, as, for, as far as a winner, uh, Sam Burns is my pick in my master's play. So I'm going to go with it here. Okay. He was awesome in the match play, and I like him following him around from the Sanderson, so it's kind of a homer pick. But he's playing really well right now. All right, you, so give me, give me your top three. Sam Burns and who else? Max Homa and
2: Scotty Scheffler. Okay. Hey, Dad, give me three.
4: John Rahm. Great pick. Um... Uh, who won last year? Scheffler. Scotty Scheffler. Take take him. Okay. And let's go off the board a little bit. Big Cat. No, you know what? Cam Smith. Cam Smith. Nah, I can't get you. I love Big Cat, but no. Cam Smith.
2: Um, Rory. Scheffler's <sighs> just playing so well. R- Roy Sh- Rory Scheffler and Rom are, are probably the three that I would go with. I think Cam Smith's a really good pick. Yeah. I do.
4: So those are three? I mean, we all pick the same guys, though.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, this isn't necessarily a contest. I just would say, you know. Cam
3: who- Young would be a good choice as well. It's not bad. Zal Torres, uh, people love Zal Torres and, and his strokes. What is it? Strokes gained? From the fairway, he's the best in the field or something at Augusta. But he is changing his putting again this week.
2: You know, Kevin Kisner's going through some swing changes. I think Kevin Kisner wins a major at some point, but it's got to be on the right golf course, and I'm not sure that I think this is the right golf course for him, especially going through some swing changes. uh, Dark horse, because of his iron play. Colin Morikawa.
3: Yeah.
4: That's always a secret. you mentioned Matsuyama too earlier. That's another guy who could who could be factored into this. Yeah,
2: I feel like I feel like Hideki plays well there.
3: I always like him after his caddy bowed after he won, took oh, the flag so cool. and, and bowed back. To, that's just man. That's a their culture rules, but uh, we haven't mentioned Tiger yet. Understandably so, but I, I know it's not we'll going to happen. Pulling for him. I, I just man, I was captivated. Captivated. He was very reflective on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. He was asked about, you know, do you ever walk the fairway thinking this is going to be my last time? And he said, all the time. Yeah, I think I, I can't help but wonder if he's struggling just walking the way it's been intimated, how much more of these we're going to get to see. Because as Portnoy said earlier, and he's right, TV doesn't do that place justice. You can hit the shots all day long, but... You've got to walk the seventy-five hundred yards, and it's not flat like a football field. It's borderline mountain climbing in some spots. I mean, it's seriously like you might roll your eyes if you're a non-golfer, but in, until you see it, you don't realize how hard it is. And w- with a guy that has a leg filled with titanium, four days of that is just grueling. Or yeah, I should
2: remember this number exactly, and I don't, but. From the lowest point on the golf course, which is walking off 12 green, to the highest point on the golf course, which is right there at the back of the clubhouse, I want to say the elevation change is like 800 feet. Is that is that Google number look,
3: ring a bell for you? Google turned up 328 feet from 10 T to 12 green, highest to lowest. Okay. That
2: makes more sense. But that is, that's a 30-story building. That's a 30-story building. And back and forth, and back and forth. We'll be back. Sports like Talk, this is like
1: you know some girls do.
0: This show was previously recorded. This show was previously recorded.
1: Let's go, let's go, let's go. This is your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back one last time to Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks for being with us. You can join us as always on the Ceasefire text line, 601 879 4395. Again, 601 879 4395. I will give you no context here other than the headline of the story. It will leave you with questions. It leaves us with questions. But unfortunately, the link to the actual story is dead. Here's the headline. Naked man driving stolen school bus with dead deer inside leads police on chase in Adams County, Pennsylvania. I'll try again. Naked man driving stolen school bus with dead deer inside leads police on chase in Adams County, Pennsylvania.
4: Surprised it wasn't Bucks County.
3: The link isn't dead, by the way. It might just be uh, your computer or something, but I've got the full story up. If, uh, Yeah, tell me more. A strange situation reading from uh, indeed, ABC 330 and 40 there in uh, Adams County, Pennsylvania. Uh, spanning Adams, York, and Cumberland counties in Pennsylvania happened early Tuesday morning, according to Carroll Township Police Department. Police received a call on Tuesday about seeing a stolen bus being driven by Tony Saunders in Dillsburg. That's a very Pennsylvania name, by the way. At around 7.10 a.m., Pennsylvania State Police in Gettysburg reported the same stolen bus and to be on the lookout, especially in York and Adams counties. Officials say officers on patrol spotted the stolen bus driving through a Giant Foods and Rite Aid parking lot. The school bus then turned west onto, uh, details don't matter, authorities say they later caught up to Saunders. At first, officers say the bus pulled over near the turnpike, but shortly after pulled away, starting a chase. They chased him for a while, chased him for a while, he drove over a berm, almost flipped the bus, then drove the vehicle into a neighborhood where he exited the bus and ran from police. Uh, Officers say as he ran, he stripped off his clothes until he was fully in the nude, running through numerous parking lots and busy traffic areas. Slow police in Pennsylvania, as it turns out. They say Saunders was then arrested nude and later admitted to taking the bus earlier after crashing a BMW vehicle. Saunders also admitted to placing a dead deer inside the bus and was attempting to drive it to his home to use as fertilizer for his garden.
4: Yeah, you know, they
2: sell
3: the that at Home
4: Depot. It's a little cheaper, a little easier to get. <laughs>
2: The ability to strip into the into the nay nay while running
4: is is
2: impressive. Takes some
4: some practice. Yeah, I would feel like yeah, I feel like that's not a first time he did that. Like, have you done this before while being chased from by police? That's yeah, our, our next. next uh, that. Add that to add that to the decathlon strip running. How quickly can you can you get completely naked while at a full sprint?
3: While not getting caught, he stripped naked well, that, that, and I, still I, ran I, through multiple parking lots. Hmm. Or was the Average it weight of the cop
4: was two seventy-eight.
3: Yeah. Or did they not want to touch him? Was it like uh they're running behind him like uh <laughs> <right>. <laughs> like,
5: get the I rookie to do it. Stop!
3: Stop.
2: Notable Just groupings at the uh at the Masters tomorrow. Ten eighteen. Are these central time or eastern time?
3: Uh these are eastern,
2: so nine All eighteen. Right. Nine eighteen. Tiger Woods, Victor Hovlin, Xander Shawfley they'll go off at uh 12:24 on Friday. Justin Thomas, John Rahm, Cameron Young paired together, that's the 10:42 time. That's a power group right there. A lot of these are so good. Hideki Matsuyama, international flavor here. Hideki Matsuyama from Japan. Cam Smith from Australia, Sung JM from Korea.
3: Yeah, that's big time.
2: This whole thing is Dustin Johnson, Corey Connors, Justin Rose, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Colin Morikawa, Will Zalatoris, Scotty Scheffler, Sam Bennett, uh, I'm sorry, Scotty Scheffler, Max Homa, Sam Bennett. I think Sam Bennett is the reigning the reigning US Amateur champion. Believe he usually the, the the reigning US Amateur champion always gets paired with the previous year's winner. This is a good one. Tom Kim, Rory McIlroy, Sam Burns. Woo!
3: That's a good one.
2: Tom Kim's an interesting guy. Has not played as well this year as he did a year ago. Jordan Spieth, Tommy Fleetwood, Tony Finau at one o'clock central time tomorrow.
3: Have you watched the uh, the Netflix documentary? Yeah. Finau is awesome. Oh, he's great. Just a cool dude.
2: Cool dude. Good dad. Family really, really important.
3: bunch of kids. What's he got? Five kids? Six yeah. kids? They got a house full. He's got to keep winning. that, yeah. that one point seven million goes quick with five kids, man. <laughs> so I I feel like Rivers played for two decades.
2: I guess so. Thanks for being with us. Master starts tomorrow. Enjoy it. We'll talk about it. We will also talk plenty of baseball. A series began all over the place on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday weekend. In the SEC. For Michael Borky and Brian Haydad in the Pearl River Resort Studio, I'm Richard Cross. Have a great Wednesday night.
0: This show was previously recorded.